someone gave me a great thing. They were like, look, here's the trajectory of like your career, right? You know, it's like this subtle climb up. Wherever you are on that path, there is people in front of you and there are people behind you. And even to the top of that hill, there's still going to be people that had a reputation or a name bigger, better, whatever it is, right? So you're always looking for the person ahead of you to look for the guidance, but you've got to continue this cycle and making sure you're giving to whatever's behind you and helping them along the way. everyone and thank you so much for listening in i am roberta the illustrator behind happy impulse and this is happy impulse unfiltered a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the bullshit happening in our society and i create art about it because the more we talk about this shit these issues the more we can change and better the world around us so welcome to happy impulse unfiltered and thank you for giving a fuck I'm super stoked and I want to welcome Nick Longo to the podcast. He is a creative badass who loves mentoring young designers through teaching. Plus, he's also in the creative trenches running his own agency. So, Nick, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really stoked that you could be here. I am so happy to do this. And on a Saturday, it's even better because like mine's clear, schedule's clear. <laughs> Worked out great for us. So I'm happy to be here. I mean, oh no, I can probably keep you for hours and hours. And I this know, will be the longest yeah. episode. <laughs> I should not have started with that, but I'm finding uh, weekends over the last few months since everything's been ramping up and I think business is great and you know all that fun stuff. But weekends are those times you're trying everyone I think is trying to get back everything just bleeded in remember some days you're just like I don't even know if it's Saturday or the weekend or whatever and now I'm like oh I'm definitely defining my weekends again <laughs> so <laughs> it works out great because everyone was working at home it felt like everyone was available 100% of the time yes and they started losing those boundaries at work yep oh yeah and it's still creeping in I mean I do have some work to do Maybe tomorrow, we'll see. But <laughs> I don't want it to define the weekends the way it really was for quite a while. So um, trying to just gain that back a little bit to make sure you are balancing out, making sure you're like not overloading on the work and everything. I've had a few of those days like the last week where you're just like, you know, the mind is completely blank. You're like, I cannot generate one freaking idea. And that tells you something. You're just like, close that down, turn the computer off, Let's get some life back into us. <laughs> so it's feeling good. <laughs> no, I've done that recently too. I had a lot of big projects back to back and I went to my clients and I was like, Hey, um, can I just do something super simple? Like 20 banners or something? <laughs> like, give me something like 20 ads, like something super, super simple. Yeah. Like I love working on the big projects and they're great, but I also need a time to reset. Mm -hmm. Or when you're juggling two or three of the big ones rather than like eight or nine small ones. And then that one creeps in that's 180 degree different as far as your mindset or the demand it takes on you creatively. Bouncing back and forth between that is 
sometimes I think the hardest thing. I, that's one of the things I've been like searching for is some really good insight on the creative mind in general and all the different levels of what creativity might mean. What are the proper conditions, lighting, music, your setup, the time of day to attack those things. And there's really interesting mind podcast things out there are really diving into that because I think it's a, it's a common problem that a lot of us are having. Is it working? I don't know. <laughs> Check with me in like six months. I agree with you though. When I was first coming out of college, I bought a really cheap desk chair. Mm -hmm. And then yes. I did not sit in the chair. <laughs> I sat on the couch <laughs> because the couch is comfortable. Right. It's, it was more expensive. I really enjoyed it. And so this time around when I was redoing my desk, I bought a more expensive chair and I was like, wow, this really... I'm more inclined to sit at my desk and really work at my desk and make it more of a home yeah. about things that I want. Yes. I think some people are afraid to make that step because it means the full commitment of this is now a home office. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I know a few people that are still working out of their dining room table kind of thing with the chairs that were not meant to work on. And it's like, would you just go drop like 200 bucks and get yourself, even if it's an Office Depot, you know, somewhat better chair. You're spending how many hours a day? You've got to swap it up. So right. if you're that person still working off your couch or whatever, it's like your back is going to start telling you, oh, your neck, it's time to make a change. I did that a long time ago. I committed 100% because when I started my own business and knowing I'd be at home, whoa, I had a great chair, a great setup. Uh, we had people that came into our office that set it up on you know the right height and where's your monitor and your armrests and based on your height and everything. So I found it all online. Craigslisted it, most of it, because the budgets were like, you know, you didn't have the budget back then to be like, I need a really good chair, but I can only spend here, you know? <laughs> so get creative. There's ways around it for sure. Oh, no, there is. And then you discover like what you value. Do you need to yeah. have the most expensive speakers or are you fine for a few months with just your computer speakers? Exactly. To me, headphone wise, that's where I don't spend it. But on the office speakers, I'm guilty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we dive a little bit deeper, can you briefly tell the listeners about yourself? Sure. I'm uh, Nick Longo, based in Los Angeles, born and raised here, discovered graphic design as a, as a career in community college, loved the idea. It was instantly what I always knew I wanted to do, but did not know what to call it or what the name was or what the industry was. And very happy to see that there's something you can make a living at. Being a very creative person, but also realizing you, you've got to make a living and you've got to find you know your career. Out of school, my first few jobs were handling packaging, point of purchase displays, catalog, a lot of trade show and packaging kind of stuff. But packaging really stuck for me. And that led me into a job that I worked for almost 15 years where I was the creative director and VP of creative at a promotional company that we created toys and premiums and promotions for all of the major studios. So anytime a movie release came out or something, we were creating the toy and all of the creative that went along with it to help launch it at Taco Bell or Burger King or Kellogg's Cereal. So it was this really incredible entry from packaging to product and branding. And what I've did about 10 years ago was when I'm about ready to like lose my mind working for somebody again. And I decided to start my own business, really catering to branding. And then that has now kind of since gone into more specifically beverage, food, restaurant by complete chance, but also I'm a huge foodie and I love that. And there's nothing more I would love to create 
designs for. So that's been going great. And then on the side, I have a few fun little hustles. I'm a part-time teacher at Cal State Northridge here in LA teaching branding. On the we side, there's two little fun things I get to do. I'm a podcaster with the DGDC podcast. And most recently, myself and your good friend, Andrew Hockrattle, with the help of Adobe, and we get to do this fun little show every Friday called Office Hours that is helping young designers really kind of find their way through Adobe apps and challenges and uh, back to basics kinds of things to really instill that young designers are starting strong and have a community to kind of share and put their work out there. It's incredible to find that so many people don't have the support in the creative community that maybe you do. Just living in a normal city where you can go to a university or you can go to a meetup or we can hang out on Zoom or, or do whatever. And these, there's so many folks all over the world that just want to get into this, but don't have communities to back them up. And that's really opened my eye to that whole idea of mentorship and education and things like that for the next people in line. That's kind of my, my bio. I feel like I probably should have asked, what don't you do? That would have been... <laughs> I don't do web. I don't do web. I don't do UI UX. I, I have, not that I don't want to, but like, I think finding your lane is something you really... That for, at least for me, I'm stretched too thin in different entities of creative. I'd probably be so watered down in a lot of ways. But because I try to, whatever I do, it involves something as far as education and teaching, even on the client side, just running your business and the clients you work for. I make sure it's like I'm holding their hand through this thing and I'm showing them how to work with a creative. And I'm, I'm making sure that they understand and appreciate uh, what we bring as a value rather than just trying to art direct you, that's not what you're being hired for. It's like, you don't do that with any other professional you work with. I think creatives have to fight a little bit stronger for that, that respect of being like, I'm here to help you. I'm not just here to do what you want and make pretty, pretty pictures. So I really like that you're trying to protect mm -hmm. the creatives to actually make them, not make them, get them to stand up for themselves a little bit more and to say like, Hey, you hired me let me do my job because if you let me do my job, you're going to get some amazing yes. work. Yeah, you're right. You're going to run into people like that all the time and you can't filter them out. All you have to do is now learn different tools on how to work with that kind of a client if they're going to be in the weeds with you. But once you learn it once, hopefully that formula can carry to the next person that comes that's the same kind of a challenge. So I just keep thinking we're building our little utility belt of powers and tools like every day and mine's getting really big, <laughs> but um, you go back to them and you, those are the tools you use for the next person that might throw a challenge your way. And now you have an answer. Now you have rationale that will, can back it up because you've gone through that process and you've proven yourself. I'm trying to just bring the frequency of that down <laughs> as, as you get into new clients. And, and that's really interesting because the last year, I'd say I was looking at the year in review and a lot of new clients because of a lot of great incentives and businesses starting. And that's a great spot to catch somebody and give them the pillars on how to work with the creative uh, really fresh from the very beginning so they don't create conditions that are hard to work with. Well, would you mind kind of giving us some insights of things that you tell clients and creatives to have that better relationship? Yeah. What I've basically done is every time I'm in a position with a client that either, you know, pisses me off completely or miscommunication. My first instinct, it used to be like, what happened? What did they do? Blah, blah, blah. Now I'm like, no, where did I go wrong? I'm running this ship. I'm the one 
I'm the captain. They're just along for the journey. So I look at areas where I could do better, where I could communicate faster or clearer, and I make those part of the next delivery or process when I'm working with a client. And a new one, I will show them basically a roadmap of how the project works from the very beginning with timelines and with like what they'll need to do at this point, what I'll be doing at this point. And as I'm doing that recently in this just last two months, every new client that has been signed on, we're finding it running a lot smoother because they're understanding what's next. I even tell them like, tape that roadmap somewhere in your vicinity when we talk because I want you to know what the next step is. There should be no surprises in this industry, right? You could look back at Mad Men or something, right? And you could see these presentations and it's my favorite show of all time. But what used to happen was it would be like, oh, okay client, we're gonna go over here, we're gonna do all this work and then we're gonna come back and reveal and like voila, one option. And in most cases, I don't want it to be so much this reveal. They've never seen anything before, but my buildup to that day gets them conditioned and prepared to know what to expect and know how to rate if I did a good job or not. So because of all these checkpoints and because of this roadmap, when they see that first round of packaging, I'm doing one for like this huge frozen food company right now. And I'm freaking out because I'm like, I don't want them to see something and be like, I don't get it. So I'm putting in all of these new parts in the process that I'm showing them a brand board. I'm showing them elements that I think strike the inspiration for what will be the graphics on there. So now when they see it, they're gonna be like, oh, there's that cool little texture that you brought up in the mood board because it reflects grandma's kitchen, you know, all these fun little elements. And when they see it now, it all adds up. They instantly go, yes, this is for the consumer. It's not for me, it's for the consumer. That's a hard, road to kind of get a client to figure that out. So when I show them this, they're like, oh, the client's get this, the customer's gonna see that and think home cooked, authenticity, like handed down recipes, then they get it. And now I'm like, they're not looking at it going, I don't like that green. They're actually going, this is a great solution for our objective. As long as you cater to that, oh man, it is a game changer. And it's never complete. You know as well as I know, it's like it never is complete, you keep adding to that process to make things better so the person figures it out. No, over-communication is key. Mm -hmm. It makes your life easier. It's kind of like if you've ever been in a relationship and someone has kind of ghosted you or they don't text you back, and it gives you that level of anxiety, and you don't want oh, your clients yeah. to feel that. And why would you? Because if a client comes to me and say, I want branding, I'm like, okay, does that mean you want just a logo or do you actually mean you want the whole shebang do you want like yeah. templates do you want like an understanding of your look and feel like what does branding mean to you yeah because i don't want to show up thinking you mean one thing when really you mean you meant something completely different and for young designers out there that are trying to make more money on these little side hustles of logos don't ever just do a logo it's a branding solution it's a branding system it's like it's a great way to make a project go from like two to three hundred dollars on the side to maybe you know twelve hundred to fifteen you're telling them i'm going to do research i'm going to look at competitors i'm going to study color theory i'm going to give you a questionnaire we're going to look at brand archetypes we're going to do two to three rounds of options then that's going to get refined and there's time on the phone there's time on zoom there's time meeting all of a sudden that adds up and not only are you being a more well-rounded and robust partner to your client you're also finding a way to increase your project and your scope and hopefully the price you put at the end of that estimate. So don't just do a logo. 
that's not, they can do that online with a logo builder. If that's all they need, let them go. But you're better than that and you're bigger than that. And you're going to give them a much better solution because you care. Right. And you are the expert. You're taking that extra time to say like, well, when I look at this font, it feels very modern. And this is kind of what my client wants to get across. And so I think this is a good direction to go in. But I want to really have a collaborative experience. Yes. For a long time, because you'd referenced Mad Men, I feel like that was like a really siloed process. The clients yeah. and the creatives were very separate. But you still wanted your client very excited at the end of the day when you presented your genius creation. Yeah. But what I enjoy in my end, and I think you probably enjoy it this way as well, is feeling like it's a partnership. I'm making this thing. And if I'm partnering with you, you're also getting super excited. We're making these changes. And if you don't like something and you tell me why you don't like it, and unless I have like a valid reason of like, oh, it's actually bad for your user experience or research has shown me this, then I'm going to make the change for the client. Yeah. We're there to guide them along. We're not there to be pixel pushers. Usually when I define branding, it's I define branding as kind of like a person in and of itself. The brand mm -hmm. is what the person wears. The content is what they say. If I see someone who feels like a school teacher of like third graders and I hear words come out of their mouth that feels like they're in a dive bar, they might do yeah. that on their weekends. That's perfectly acceptable, but I'm a little startled and I'm like, okay, this isn't. <laughs> yep. The disconnect is there. Yes, and we don't want to have that with our clients. So how are you teaching the young creatives to also follow these steps? Yeah, I always say branding starts the conversation. It's like the first stake in first impressions, in expectations, and all that. And it shouldn't do everything. It should not. I love when a client's like, I want it to reflect my sustainability, but my ingenuity and my flexibility and the fact that we have a strong foundation. I'm like... Okay, let's put those in priority, <laughs> right? Like you got to hang your hat on something. And yes, we could be all that. And we have the rest of the brand and the social media and the marketing materials and your website to tell that. But the last question on my branding questionnaire is if the logo could do one thing and one thing only, what would it be? And that helps prioritize after they've just gone through the whole thing. And most of the times they've never gone through that before. No one's ever challenged them to ask. I swear I get that every time. It's like, wow, no one's ever asked me about what is the brand voice? <laughs> you know, and you're like, that's how what we build our work on. And so they go through this whole process and then they get hit with that question at the very end that is like the period. It's like, okay, now you've explored everything. What's number one? And in most cases that really helps us to say, okay, then do you get what I'm saying where we just went through this whole process? And if your logo did nine things, you're going to be watered down, you're gonna be confusing, and you're not being strategically direct to the person you're trying to connect to. Then they're like, oh, okay. So, okay, flexibility, that's number one. Let's go with that. So now you show them that logo and that brand stems from that as like the seed or the nucleus, then they're like, they're bragging about it. They're like, oh, I got the most flexible logo in the world. And blah, blah, blah. you know, it's like, they're happy. And you've got them on board. You've got them, they're on the ship with you. And now they're an advocate for their brand rather than like the speculating, questioning person all the time. So win situation right there, you know? I love that question. 
I almost feel like I mm. want to steal it at this point because that's an amazing question. I think I stole it from someone. <laughs> <laughs> so go for it. Yeah. That's why we do these, like share the knowledge. Everything is a remix on a remix. So I think everything is stolen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's very true. Yeah. But with that line of statement, everything can be said differently because you're the one saying it and everything can be created differently because you're the one creating it. Yeah. So you're super passionate about creatives and who you're mentoring and what you're trying to show to the world and that connection with clients and creatives. Mm -hmm. How do you impact the world around you with that? I know that you're teaching. Yeah. So dive a little bit deeper. Ooh. Dive a little bit deeper how you change young minds. Yeah. That wasn't sarcasm, people. That was young minds scare the crap out of me. Um, yeah. And they are the future. Yeah. And that's... You've got a knack for it, too. Like, when we ran into you at DesignerCon, I had all my students with me. They instantly loved your work and everything there. But you have a, you have those feelers that are like, oh, young minds, like, blah, blah, blah. You're like, something there. And there's a connectivity. And you shared with them a bunch. And, like, even as we talked about it days later, they remembered little things that they got from a lot of the more seasoned folks, like meeting you and stuff there. And so you make an impact in a lot of ways too, and maybe not knowing it, having young creatives even follow you or whatever it might be on different platforms. It's like, we all have the ability. Someone gave me a great thing. They were like, look, here's the trajectory of like your career, right? You know, it's like this subtle climb up. Wherever you are on that path, there is people in front of you and there are people behind you. And even to the top of that hill, there's still going to be people that had a reputation or a name bigger, better, whatever it is, right? So you're always looking for the person ahead of you to look for the guidance, but you've got to continue this cycle and making sure you're giving to whatever's behind you and helping them along the way, right? And so when I started the teaching, it came out of a complete luck of the draw. I went back to my school talked about what I've been doing since I graduated as an alumni. And within two weeks, they had an emergency situation where someone could not fulfill a semester and called me and were like, would you ever be interested in teaching? We have something that starts in like two weeks. And I was like, are you absolutely kidding me? Never in a million years did I think, one, I'd luck out like that. And two, I was scared to death because I was like, all of a sudden, your credibility of everything you've built on your LinkedIn just crumbles that I'm not worthy of teaching anybody in this industry, you lose everything. So got into it, fell in love with the whole role you get to play as an educator. Obviously it's making me better. I have to practice what I preach now more than ever. I probably learn more from teaching than all the years being at an agency and now doing my own. But what I love about it is I can see through the connection we make with all the alumni. And once they get out there into the real world or they start looking for a job or needing a recommendation, whatever. And when you see a kid understand the value of what they can get from a teacher, from a mentor, from just even a boss, some of them land these jobs and they get these great mentors. I'm like, perfect, you're set. Listen to that person, emulate that person, ask them how to move to the next step, you know, all of those things. Because that's not a given. I'd say over 50% of the jobs I'm seeing them get, they're just pushed in this area. There's no creative director. There's no mentor. And they can fall into that trap of being in a job for the rest of their life where they're not challenged to grow and take the next step. So when I can give them that push and say, don't just go in there as a young designer. Go in there and tell them I'm ready for anything. Anything big comes up, come to me first. I want to spread my wings. Uh, you know, Be that person, the person that you cannot replace. 
because layoffs and all these things are going to happen. And we've seen how something can happen in the world and immediately every company freezes and freaks out and they might make a knee jerk reaction and start cutting because creative and marketing are the first people that can go on a lot of these rosters. So I tell them, you want them to be in a meeting going, who can we get rid of? You want them to circle your name, just going like, absolutely not valuable person can't do without. So I'm trying to nurture them to be that person on so many different ways without being cocky, being confident, being flexible, being able to do these things. But the more you can be as furthering expectations of anybody that's hiring you, because I've gone through that process of hiring and, and going like, whoa, I thought I had a great person. Maybe I didn't look at their background or I, maybe something I didn't figure out was the right thing. But culturally and all these things, you want to be that person because they're hiring you. They're not hiring your work. And I think a lot of times that's what happens. I've seen kids that have incredible creative talent, but they might not be the best communicators or the best people that can like sell or speak for the company. I remember sending creatives off and going like, you're going to go to this meeting, you're going to go travel, whatever, because I trust you to represent this company more than just a creative, but you can almost be a marketing sales kind of individual in this point. So the more you have that well-rounded thing, you're going to be that much more able to grow and do whatever. So my impact, I feel, might be the fact that I'm igniting them to be more than they thought they could be. And I think that's just what any other boss or person that took a chance on me back in the day when I wanted a promotion or I wanted to switch to a new part of the business, people took a chance with that. But then I realized I must have given them some reassurance that taking that chance was good. So that to me is what I want to impact more than anything. And is that person now becoming a person at the table of the company, not just a table of the creative team that they work in. So that's my ultimate goal. And I've seen it happen. I've seen kids eight, nine years into their career killing it because they just have that spirit. Mostly they had it already. They just need someone to like give them a little spark. So that's my goal. And I love that. And I think for those creatives out there that do feel just like pixel pushers, I think mm -hmm. some good bit of advice is start looking at the company website, start looking at the product, start looking at things that you know you could make better. They'll make change. It's change inch by inch. Mm -hmm. But if you don't push them, if you don't say that you're there and that you're ready for that moment of creativity, if you don't show up and show them that, hey, you could do this thing really differently than what you're doing it now, then they'll never know to ask you. So what I mean by that is yeah. if you're asked to present three concepts for an ad, you can present those three concepts and they can be all wonderful. But if you don't do one of those concepts, that's a little bit outside the box that pushes the bounds. Yeah. The client's probably going to say no, and they might not be in love with it, but they at least know that you tried. Yes. And trying and passion is such a huge thing with companies. It's that extra mile didn't have to do it, but even if it's completely shut down and it's so far out of the box in some way, at least it's showing your exploration and your ability to say like, I know you want this, but like be wrong to come back and be like one option, totally out of the box and not cater to what they actually did need. The other two concepts like you mentioned. But when we were at the agency I worked at for years, we would bring in some inventors that would help us with new ideas for toys. Like we would just get so burnt, like, okay, what else can we do for a little kid's meal toy? Right. And this agency came in and they'd show concepts and they were just rough sketches, really nicely done, beautiful 
illustrators and everything. And then you get to the end and there'd be a page in the binder that said, okay, next concept. They had a great name for it. I can't remember what it was called. It was like out of the box, something weird. They made a fun little logo on it and it looked like a stamp. It looked top secret. And it said like turning this page means you agree. It was like mission impossible, right? And it's like, we have one last concept that is so out of the box. They made it a habit of always putting that in every deck. And when you got to it, it would be so out of the box. It might spark something totally different. Without it, we wouldn't have got maybe the final piece. Let's say we paid them a certain amount for this deck of ideas. If we chose that last one, they got an ownership of it. They had a percentage. They had like a royalty to it. If we made it, they would make like 7 million of these things for global distribution, right? And I was like, what a smart idea. They're putting their creativity on the line and hoping that like if I can break through and show you something that you did not think about, well, guess what? It comes with a cost. And I'll never forget that. And I was thinking, wow, we're not just flat rate people. We're not hourly. You know, I can come up with a tagline for a friend's company in 30 seconds because I've spent 20 years trying to figure that stuff out for everybody else. I had a teacher that said this one time. She goes, if I come up with a tagline for you, in 20 seconds, yes, you're still going to pay me my fee for it, even though you think it takes two weeks. I can't come up with it that fast without the background and the knowledge and the history of who I am as a creative. So that price tag thing is really interesting. Don't sell yourself short because you did it fast. You did it fast because you have all the tools. I think we need to start looking at creatives almost like we look at lawyers and doctors a little bit mm -hmm. because Maybe we didn't spend as long in school as, as doctors, <laughs> but we're also interning. We're also going to conventions. We're also staying up on the latest technology. We're also watching the latest classes. You're not going to question a doctor who's like, oh, I did the surgery in like two hours. Mm -hmm. You're not going to question his fee. You're going to have like a, a bit of a panic when you get the fee later, but you're paying for those years he was in the classroom for the years that... He took yeah. the practice, the time that he was thinking about yes. it off the clock. When creatives are being paid, they're being paid for those extra insights because they're so obsessed with what they're doing. Yeah. Good way to say it. I agree. And the tools you brought to the mix, right? A doctor, if he can speed up the whatever the process is, it's probably because they've spent a lot of money on this new equipment or this new procedure or whatever, right? And we're the same way. I think every time I've left like Adobe Max or something, everyone kind of freaks out and be like, oh my gosh, like the, the apps are doing everything for us now, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, as the creative, I'm like, woo, it's getting really powerful. But then as the business person, I'm like, but I can, I can do one click and make an entire logo package with 300 PNGs in half a second where it used to take me six hours to do it. I'm like, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm buying into that shortcut. So shortcuts and technology and everything, yes, are making us faster, but don't forget, it's going to put a spotlight on the better, more strategic creatives. Because if someone can go to, I don't want to mention the name, but there's a lot of those like make a logo in 20 second websites mm -hmm. and, and they're even going, you don't even have to be a creative, that kind of thing. Oh, those logos, they're going to fall apart. They won't propel a, a business to do anything. And that person who just did it for free is going to eventually have to come to one of us that do it right. So oh, let that be a spotlight that our work's better. You know what I mean? I think I take a cynical approach to that. Mm -hmm. If you're going to spend $20 on a logo, I want you to go to the place 
that has the $20 logos. Yes. Because do. then when you become dissatisfied and you realize it's not doing what so-and-so's logo is doing, you'll be like, oh, well, maybe I should have paid more because it is worth more. I'm investing True. into my company. Why didn't I give it the time? Now, do you yes. trust the plumber who you're paying 20 bucks or do you trust the plumber who you're spending 300 or $400 with knowing that the job is going to be solid and if you're not happy yeah, and they've told you like, hey, call me in like two weeks. If something is still acting up or if something isn't solved, call me or even call me a year down the road. Like you make that partnership, yeah. you almost make um, a business friendship where that's your person. And you'll go back to them. Right, because you trust them because you've heard them rattle off about the different fittings for plumbing or the different tools that they have or the reason why this suggestion works and this suggestion doesn't work. And yep, yeah, sure, you could find that knowledge. You could look on the internet, you could dive deep, you could spend 10 or 15 hours looking at like, oh, should I do a negative space logo? Like, should I do just black and white logo? Should I do vertical, horizontal? You can look forever. But if yeah. you're with someone who's like, okay, the reason why we do both logos, you do a horizontal and a vertical version is because you do one for your website. You want it to be responsive depending on what type of screen you're on. And you also do one for like your packaging and you have different variations. They all go within your brand family of logos but they all yes. feel like they're from the same family. Branding, while it is just a visual cue of who you are as a company, it also builds trust and loyalty. Uh, yeah. As a company, if someone comes to me and they say, you delivered this great experience, and they're going to expect that every time. But if you have bad branding and you gave bad customer experience, then they're always going to associate that branding and who you are as a bad customer experience. Yeah. Now that can evolve and that can change and a brand refresh can actually help you achieve some of those goals. Yeah. The logo collection, the versatility, the flexibility, the different applications, it demands that now. That's what's got to be done for any of these projects that you're igniting with the client. If they go to some free site and I've had clients that went, got my bid, said, sorry, I went to the, the freebie sites or whatever. They come running back and then they showed me what they got. And they got clip art and like a randomizing text font picker. And it basically gave them six columns of like a B with the name of the company in one font. And then it went to another B in that same font. And it was almost like someone just did, I need a B. God knows how they, they do this or something. But I looked at the column. I'm like, they gave them like 400 varieties in the first reply. And I was like, how freaking terrible is that that just goes to show you was there's zero amount of strategy even tried nothing so when they came back that was a good feeling i realized i'm not losing any business to those oh, those, no. those services and no designer i don't care where you are in your career even if you you're still in school you just started you're 10 times better than anything that's going to happen from those things so let that exist because what it does is it makes you look more serious, more real, more competent. And I'm like, bring it on. No, I'm with you. I'm the same way. I'm like, if a computer can replicate what I can do in my head, good luck, because there's some things that I can't even replicate mm -hmm. going on in my head. I want to see you do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's still in my head. I've never been able to like get it on paper or on screen. So it's like, good luck with that, right? No, exactly. And 
if you're terrified about a computer generated algorithm taking away your job, you have a confidence issue for one. We should say on the creative side, because I think on the creative there side. are industries that obviously it's doing better than humans. It's kind of crazy, you know? That's true. When they hire you as a creative, they're hiring not only what you're producing for them, but they're hiring your personality. They're hiring your voice. They're hiring you as a person. And yeah. they're not going to get that out of a computer. They're not going to get your perspective, your point of view. Like every time I approach something with a client, I'm going to have this kind of filter. I'm looking at it from, yeah. I've grew up in a small town, but I have also lived in the cities. I grew up like with farmland and how it could be sustainable. I saw fruits that were ugly. I got to see the production line. And I can also approach it where I'm in the LGBTQI family and that I'm in a interracial relationship. And the computer's not going to have that. Yeah, the, these are perspectives that are your building blocks. Exactly. And every creative yeah. has these. And yeah. if you're not a voice on the table, then that's a table you don't want to be at. Mm -hmm. You're right. There's no chair for you there. I don't think creatives... Mm -hmm understand that if you have to fight so hard to be at the table then maybe you don't actually want to be at that table maybe there's another table or maybe the people at the table don't realize you want to be there too yes have you put yourself out there enough yes you bring out a great point consider this table and if there's no chair for you you're young in your career you're right out of school or maybe hey i've seen some of the most incredible artists now didn't go to school self-taught, hit the pavement running at like 18, doing great. So it's not even that anymore. But if you're in that zone where experience-based is still lacking and you're just getting into it and there is no seat at that table, you find another table, right? You, you go to where it will be respected and where your creativity and your perspective, like you said, all those building blocks of who you are, are welcomed. If you're later in your career and you have, I feel like, experience behind you and maybe some persuasion and you're at a table and there's no seat for you, make a seat for you. I feel like with the experience, now you can make a change somewhere and say, hey, organization, you know, you've never allowed creative here or a part of this. I'd love to prove you wrong in a very easy way. You can find a way to be like, just give our team a chance. We'd love to try something here. Maybe allow us to present the next pitch rather than sales or with sales. And I think where I saw that happen was Later in my career, when I had to get to go with a salesperson and we'd go travel for a pitch, what a perspective I got. Because not only was I the guy going like, oh, creative has to be there. We're the people that brought up this idea and who better to present it? But let's face it, I had no training in that. So I had to be there with a the salesperson and we fused. All of a sudden, sales understood creative more and creative understood sales more. And now we were like this incredible duo. And creative had a, a role there and we were able to make that happen. So it comes with some humbleness and some like, okay, I don't know at all. But if I've made my way to a certain level, I'd say fight for that thing. But earlier in your career, if it ain't there, go find it somewhere else. You've got to get nurturing and you've got to get mentorship and you've got to learn something from someone above you. There's too many of these small companies that are just hiring young creatives. And they're like, here's a list, get it done. And then they'll have a question that, and no one's there to help them on the creative side to learn from. I don't know if that's the best place for a young creative to be, to aspire to everything that you and I are kind of like trying to push later down in your career. 
you brought up a good point that brings this kind of full circle. If you are in a small town, for example, and there's not a lot of creatives there in your field. Yeah. Everyone's a creative. I fully believe that. But if they're not in your field, <laughs> go to adobe.com. Go to Behance. Mm-hmm. Find mentors out there because we are out there. Listen to podcasts. Dive a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Follow people. We have communities out there full of creatives who are trying to help. And if you don't fit in one community, that's okay. It's not your people. It doesn't have to be your people, but you can find your tribe of misfit, creative, ragtag team. And what's so great about that and what you might not realize until you get a little bit older in your career as a young designer is that the design world is pretty small. We run into each other a lot. Mm -hmm. And maybe what'll happen is 10 years later, you're going to find out someone you met on your first job actually helped you get your latest job. Or vice versa. Exactly. Because it mm-hmm. is such a small world and you help lift each other up. I think another problem that happens with creatives is that we don't think that there's enough room at the table, but there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Because if there's some wall between that and you can't even see the table, you're instantly thinking, oh, there's probably no room for that or I'm not there yet to participate or whatever. And I think taking the blinders off in some way or just being optimistic and shooting for it, even if it doesn't happen, you get so much credibility and you gain so much confidence in doing that, even if it fails. You know, trying is the key. You're never going to get it the first shot. I misfired so many times trying to propel my career or go for a promotion or ask for a raise because I never had to. I never knew what those components were. And then the minute you reach out to someone and say, hey, you did this, you got to that next level. Can you share with me some insight on how? And all of a sudden everything changed because I attacked it a little bit more tactfully and a little bit more strategically. And that made a difference. And so I love what you say, reaching out and trying to find a community, even if you're working solo or if you're working at a big company and you're working from home still. Like I know people that have not even met their coworkers yet. You know, they're just getting back into working in the offices, finding those people that can really help you. If there's anyone you admire or you follow that you really dig, hit them up. Best tip, hit them up on Twitter. For some reason, I have better luck reaching out to folks on Twitter if I'm ever trying to kind of ask questions and stuff like that to folks. Try it. Some of the best emails I've ever gotten back are people that responded back to me on something and are so appreciative and then so ready to help. Find those people and learn from someone who's ahead of you in some way, shape, or form, you know? Right, and always be super polite when you are asking. Mm -hmm. If you're polite and they tell you straight up, I'm so sorry, I don't have enough time. I really wish I could do it. You can always ask them, is there someone else you can refer me to? Good idea. And the worrisome thing is if that creative you're looking up to doesn't have time, then they're being burnt out. (laughs) Yeah. And you might not want their advice at that moment in time. (laughs) No, just in that moment of time. Yeah. You're like, pause, put a pause on that one for right now. Yeah. All creatives, we do get burnt out because we are so in love with what we do. And that's super, super thrilling. But you also have to take time for yourself and take time to actually have a vacation and take your weekends back and enjoy time with your friends because art can take over. Yeah. You have to live to know how to create. You can't be sheltered and you can't be like 
doing this 100% of the time, all the things you were talking about, your little fun building blocks of who makes you, right? Unless you're out doing these things and experiencing, exploring, taking little fun chances and adventures, like how do you know how to fall back on and attack a job or a new project that you're working on when it's asking you to, you know, one thing I love about branding and people say like, oh, but you, you've specialized in just food and beverage and this, whatever. We take on all this other stuff that's not really like on the portfolio or, or shouted on Instagram all the time. But you want to be that. Uh, my buddy Jordan had this great thing where he said when he gets something new from a client, he spends a week diving deep into that industry if it's something he knows nothing about. And he wants to walk away as an expert in that thing and know all those little nuances and building blocks of what makes a person in that world tick before he tackles the work he's going to do for it. And I was like, yeah, that's that's really what you do have to do. We have to be that flexible. It's almost like we're taking this hat off going, okay, this was my beverage guy. Let's take it off. Now I'm working on a, a new snack line. Okay, what makes this industry shift and change and whatever? And there's common denominators, but there's also those fun things and we have to learn. So like I'll go out and go to the five or six different markets and find the different foods that are the competitors of that brand or whatever, right? And then get a little deeper into where they source their stuff from. You know, are they doing all the right things when it comes to the claims that they're making on there? Are they saying these things and it's true on what are the ingredients and all that stuff? So you start to become this like, I feel like I'm a food scientist now because of how much I've studied what makes a good thing and I love trustworthy telling the truth in branding as well. I don't want to work for a client that is making all these claims and doing all this stuff and on the flip side is not really practicing what they preach as well. So I'll be that stickler in a lot of ways and tell them, you know, um, you're kind of fooling the, the consumer here a little bit. I, I think there's trust in this stuff. And again, that, that just comes from me and my interest and wanting to do great for them, but also what morals do you have just individually, <laughs> you know? As a creative, even if you never put that product or that piece in your portfolio, you're going to know that you gave away yeah. something so valuable yeah. about yourself for cheap. Mm -hmm. I get it. Sometimes you're going to work for big companies that are against your morals, but it's actually also an advantage to you. If you're working for a company and say they do plastic surgery and you are an advocate against plastic surgery. Well, mm -hmm. you're also going to find people who've gotten in car accidents or people who've been injured who need it. So maybe mm -hmm. it's going to also change your way of thinking and you can help improve that industry at that company in small little ways. You can look at the company and you're like, let's make you more ADA compliant on your website. And you could probably bring a fresh perspective to it that no one else in the industry is doing. I know a lot of people that you remember when like it was a little taboo to get into the cannabis business as a designer or a branding and a lot of small boutiques were like going, no, 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 you know, but then a few independents got in there and changed the game and the packaging turned from what typically looked all the same. It looked like someone was getting clip art and just putting it on there and creating packaging and branding. Now you have award winning design firms and product lines being done because no one was making high scale, higher quality. That's a whole industry that does not have to look the same. You know, it's broadened to the point where we should have one that is more romantic and like fantasy. And then we should have some that are more aggressive, fun, sports minded or whatever, or some just perfect right in the middle. It's not like everything at your grocery store looks the same. So right. all of a sudden there's a whole new section there because someone tried and ventured off and said, option C 
is this? What do y'all think? And it was a game changer. Right. And what's so great about that is it actually helps keep consumers safe. So because these cannabis mm-hmm. companies are branding, if you purchase a product online and it's not branded in the way that you know the company is, you're not going to touch it. Yeah. You're going to all of a sudden see like, oh, this is untrustworthy. Yeah. And that yeah. protects you and that protects the company too. Oh, yeah. Packaging and branding can save your life. There's the next t-shirt. I love it. <laughs> but it but it does. Like the way that we brand things can save people's lives in so many different ways. So you work in the food industry. Like that's one of your areas. Yeah. You make the ingredients more well-known. You make sure everything is super legible. And that does save lives. Oh, 100%. I asked a client in the questionnaire when we're at that point. I'm like, are you proud of your ingredients enough to put them on the front label or the front of the box. That's one of my questions because it tells me if they've got something to hide or they don't. When a client goes, oh, I want my selling points and my cross sell here, even if that means the directions and the warning gets a little smaller. And I'm like, no, we can't compromise in a lot of these ways. Particularly legally, you can't. If there's any kind of warning or something, there are limitations to what the font size should be and all that. So most of those clients get that. But it's funny how the priority of what they want on the box tends to fall down. And how many times have you picked up, I'm talking like a huge frozen pizza box, right? You have all the real estate in the world to make the simplest directions of how to cook this thing. And you find it on the smallest flap in microscopic type. Why? <laughs> like right. And that's, that's, like, that's actually dangerous. Exactly. What if someone puts that in? It's a paper cardboard thing and they put it in the oven, you know, or whatever it might be, right? Like those kinds of things are truly important. I think you pull the safety part aside. I'm talking just convenience, information, even cross-selling and things like that could be really important too. That gets referrals, that gets people loyal to a brand. If I bought something and I like it and I see that they also sell a sauce or a whatever, I'm like, ooh, this worked out great. I might do that. So certain things are very beneficial, but it's funny how certain things, I'm a stickler for like instructions and ingredients. If you can't shout those out, it means you got to go back to the drawing board with your product, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> No one wants 18 steps to make a lunch. (laughs) Oh, God, no. Like, that's what the recipe books are for. Yeah, exactly. You know? And even that, people are like, "Uh." I know. I make my own recipes. I get inspiration from what I see or whatever. But I want that to be free-flowing. I don't want it to be exacts when you cook. But the convenience of buying something means you're doing it for the reason, particularly if you're trying to do that and feed five to six members of a family, whatever. That convenience means a lot to that person, right? And I love what like a lot of the food delivery places do. They're very inspiring to look at their branding and their user experience because they don't have to worry about it. You've bought it. Now it comes to you. The packaging doesn't have to sell it like it's on a shelf. There's the instructions and very everything's so calculatedly presented to you in a great clean way. You're seeing that trend hit actual retail shelves now because we're getting so used to it in other ways that uh, minimal, clean, great informational-based packaging is all over the place in this industry. So it had to come from that because, again, you didn't, they didn't have to sell it. The website sold it or the commercial sold it, not the packaging. Right, or even word of mouth. Yes, referral, big, big part of that, yeah. Now, I know we talked a lot about mentorship, 
What are five mm -hmm. tips that you could give to young designers? Case studies for your portfolio. Number one, can't just drop a image thing. I created this package, this product, this thing. No, your portfolio is a series of books on a shelf and each project is a book on its own with case study beginning, middle, end. So build that way 100%. That's number one. Uh, number two is learn how to pitch and sell and deliver your creative. Everything we talked about in this episode about being a better creative and sitting at a table and all that stuff, it starts with you being able to present this and get used to that. Get used to selling yourself, selling your ideas, and doing it with objective, process, challenges, and end result. Put that arc in your storytelling and you've got it. So that'd be number two. Number three is don't be precious as a designer. Don't be the designer that is over-emotional, hard to work with, not collaborative. Mostly by precious, I mean it's your way or the highway. We're very interesting as creative people working in commerce, working in commercial. We're commercial artists first. I always say that to like graphic design, whatever you are, we're also commercial artists, which are two opposing words. Artiste and money, money, money. Profit, profit, profit. So try to remember that your way is not maybe the best way sometimes. Someone might come in with data, data being so driven now on everything we create as creatives, listen to that and build for that. So your way might not be it. So don't be precious, don't be oversensitive. Be a creative that shatters the stigma of what it's like for a non-creative to work with us. You always hear people go, I don't like working with creatives, but you know what? Change that perspective, shatter that 100%. So that'd be number three. And go ahead. I'll jump in on number three. And if you are precious with something, start making a few things for yourself. They don't have to make a profit. Yes. They don't have to make it for anyone else. Perfect. Take photographs for yourself. Not everything you do is a product. Don't think yeah. of if you're going out for yep. a run or exercising or painting or drawing or creating or making something, not everything you do has to be monetized. You can just do things just for yeah. the joy of doing them. Yep. Love it. Because that's your escape, right? If that's part of your personality and that's who you are, chances are you probably are because we're all creatives in that zone. Do the side hustle, do the fun thing and let that be your escape. Cool. Love that. Number four, I would say don't follow lead. We all fall into this. I fall into this when I'm in a, the crunch time, putting together something new or whatever. And I, I'll tend to go with what's hot of the moment, what's trendy of the moment. It's this natural instinct to fire out a few concepts that are because of what has risen to the top on Instagram or wherever you get your inspiration from. Don't follow for a company or for a client or whoever you work for. Try to lead. And that idea is like to bring an option or a concept that is the perfect balance between familiarity and surprise. Like when I read that somewhere, I thought that was the coolest combination of what makes anything that's hot right now, why are they there? You can look at a company like Liquid Death, perfect example, right? Just canned water, but they did it in a way to say, if you're the designated driver, if you're the non-drinker and you're at a party, we want you to look just as hip and cool as the person holding the latest and greatest beverage or whatever it is. And it was this really great thing. It's familiarity. We know what it is. There's nothing new about it. But there's this balance and percentage that is beyond something we've never seen before. So if you can create that balance in there, you're leading. So try to make sure 
you do that. But the minute you follow, we're all just being lookalikes and copycats of something. And if it's a trend right now, poof, that means it's on its way out. So why would you follow it? Why would you, why would you join that bandwagon? I don't care where you are in your career. That's like golden rule, right? And then the last one, the pressure we have to be like other folks that we either look up to or see killing it. Just know that, thankfully, because of podcasts, social media and everything, I think people are really starting to show the struggle and the, that it's not all, you know, roses when it comes to being a, a successful designer or something like that. No one's figured it out. No one has, is sitting there going like, I got this covered. We're good to go. You know, smooth sailing. So don't ever think you're the one going, you're the only one in a struggle, in a, a hardship or whatever it might be. Like you had said earlier, reach out to a few folks, ask people's opinion on how to get out of a struggle or this imposter syndrome thing that everybody kind of gets. I can have one day going like, I don't get this whole thing. When people say imposter syndrome or whatever, and then two hours later, I'm like, I am the biggest imposter in the world. I, who am I to be doing this, right? So we've all struggled. Everyone's going through it. No one's figured it out. Don't put the pressure on yourself that you have to have it all figured out. And I think it's the driving force for you and the rest of your career that you will always have that challenge and just keep fighting at it. We never figure, no one ever figures it out. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it when I have imposter syndrome, but only because I've tricked my mind. And yeah. I think you've heard me say this before. And it's because it means that I'm in love with whatever I'm doing because I care so mm -hmm. much about it. Yeah. Good point. That I always want to become better. Mm-hmm. It sucks. It it completely sucks. But it makes me realize like, wow, I'm still in love with my craft. I still care what happens. Yeah, because you, cause you care. Because you care. Yeah. It'd be one thing if you didn't and you just mailed it in and didn't question yourself or your talent. I never want to be that. Like the last one I hit was like on Wednesday, just a few days ago. And I realized why I was there. I was working nonstop. I didn't even like exit my house the whole day until like 5.30 at night. And um, no wonder I had no ideas for this project I was working on. I'm like, I had drained myself of everything. So the next day, you fire back up, fresh, good cup of coffee, great music on, boom, there's my idea. And so chalk that up and you know next time it happens, <laughs> you're going to find a way out. You're going to find a way out. You will. And if you don't, there's a lot of inspiration out there. There's a lot of people you can talk with if you are stuck in that hole. Find yeah. and reach out to your community. Talk with someone about the project. Talk with your friends about it. Don't talk with them if you have a NDA, but talk about, a, <laughs> maybe talk to your dog about it or think about it on a walk or listen to there a podcast. Go. Just get out of your head and do something else for a while. That's a great tip. I'm a big fan of a walk will come into my mind in the middle of like a dilemma day and I could be out the door in 20 seconds. Cause it's like, I know the value I get and I just keep my AirPods right near the garage door. So like, as I leave, I'm just like, boop, let's go. It's the best release to just get out, walk, move. I, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, I do a lot of research on that kind of stuff. What's going to help me get through these hurdles each day. And those little things, all you need is five or 10 minutes, you know, power naps are always good. I like those. Those are great tips. But by power nap, I mean like 10 minutes. Like I've conditioned myself. I'll do a shot of espresso, lay down, 
10 minutes I'm like asleep, you get up and the espresso's hitting you, you're a new person. <laughs> it's really good. So Nick, who are the people in your life who you would leave flowers for? People that have impacted you and who've helped your creative journey become what it is. I like the friends that I have that are so not even in this industry. They're in so many other industries that typically don't understand creatives and whatever. Every time I'm in a rut or whatever, I always think like, oh, you, you always show great positivity in your what you do. And you found something that is in your wheelhouse and you're making a living out of it. You're doing it. And that helps me put things into perspective because you forget that a lot. You need to hear that from someone. So I love when a friend has really acknowledged that they are like, wow, you're taking advantage of these things. You're trying different avenues in your own career. And, and a lot of that stems from when I worked for other people, I don't think I was open to a lot of these opportunities, I would say no to them immediately. So now that I can say yes to things, it's neat for other people to acknowledge that and see it and go, wow, great, great job. And I'm like, okay, love hearing that. So those friends are the ones that I really admire. As far as in the world of like networking and people I've met or have been a part of my past, I've had one or two bosses uh, or direct reports that, like I said earlier, took a chance. I had one VP that I worked for for many years, and they took a chance in giving me a promotion once that made all the difference. I went from a cubicle to a little bigger cubicle to small little clients locally to clients internationally. Like all these things it did made me go like, wow, a creative could do this. Like a creative can be there. And all the things we mentioned about strategically where you are placed in the organization and everything, it opened my eyes to like the possibilities of where you can go. And now it's a trickle down thing. Anytime I've had someone that was a direct report to me, if they had that same spark, boom, I'm like, I see it in people and I know reward that person, give them the nudge because they put in the hard work. So it, I love that idea of that. So those two bosses that I think for me really did that to me were the best. The number one on me would be my parents they're no longer around, but what they gave me, my mom was a teacher and my dad was an architect. So there was this perfect balance of creativity and mentorship or whatever you want to call it. And I didn't realize that connection until a few years after teaching. I was like, oh, wasn't that interesting? Like what they inspired was that. But specifically my dad being a creative and making a living out of it and loving his job and uh, he worked for one company, like, you know, his entire life. And now here we are, we can pivot and we can do all these other things. It's like this, such an evolution of what creative projects and jobs and people can be. But I think they just were always encouraging. What they always did for me to make me who I am was like relentless commitment to the fact that when they had kids, they committed, you know, and my brother and I are just so super thankful for having parents that as strict and as like guided as they were, they also let us fail a few times and probably the hardest thing in the world for them to do. But those failures make me go like, oh, I'll never, I won't test the waters with that ever again. Like I know what happened. So they're the biggest ones for sure because everything still exists that they taught. They've inspired all the tattoos I've gotten. <laughs> like everything gets, it's like, you know, and it's the stuff that you cannot pay for it. It's lottery. You just luck out with that. And that's where I lucked out in life. hundred percent. Well, Nick, would you mind sharing some of your future plans? <laughs> I don't 
wish I had some. Because <laughs> um, I, And I want to ask you the same question because it's like, I love when I got to meet you and see all the things you have your hands in and everything too. I don't think you're afraid to add another thing to that lineup of who you are and what you do. I'm on this idea of like the sign on my window says open for business. And I've never been in that position until starting my own company, right? So if I'm putting the signal out there that the green light is on, open for business, whatever, I'm almost letting the opportunities come to me now. And it's a refreshing change where the past, I was always like, okay, in six months, I want this promotion and I want this. And I, want this. <laughs> I was so fucking corporate. That's how I was expecting life to be. You know, you get a job and you work your way up and you're employed by somebody and all that other stuff. And I gained all the experience from it. If anything, I would like to kind of maybe narrow down to one or two things rather than three or four and see if there's some strength in that by being more focused. Just by dropping the ball a few times on a few things, I'm like, am I juggling too much? So do I streamline it in a way rather than take on another new thing that kind of comes my way and figure out what it's going to be? So does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had something. I think your answer was whatever will be, will be for the most part. Yeah. I don't want to strive for the next dream client. Those were my typical answers years ago. It would always be like bigger and better clients or a new skill set or something. I don't know. I'm open to like whatever comes my way because I never had that sign on. And I think opportunities stopped coming to me because everyone knew my answer would probably be no. I couldn't juggle it with the full-time job I had. So now it's like, I'm on the playground. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let, you know, I think you're a lot in the same way, right? I think I am only because it's about showing up and being present. Mm -hmm. We can plan, but planning doesn't mean action. And so I'm also in that habit of just trying, being present, mm -hmm. going for it. And if I think it's interesting, great. If I hate it, cool, I can move on. I think my biggest goal was try to do something YouTube-ish and can I bring some learning or whatever to that? And I'm like, when would I have the time to do it <laughs> great? It would be so half-assed. And like, what am I thinking? I think that comes from my appreciation and love for finding great content there. It's a whole new endeavor and entity to try. I think the creative in me just wants to see how that is. But again, when I take on something new and my workload is already pretty heavy, I do things very half-assed <laughs> when it's above and beyond. And it's just some little wish to try something. So I've learned I don't want to add it to the pile of unfinished things that I've started. <laughs> I can I can respect that because I have a similar pile yeah. where I'm like, eh, one day I'll get back to it. It's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. If there's hoarders for ideas, I would be on the show in a second. <laughs> same. Same. There you go. I think this whole community feels probably that same way. I could come up with idea in a second, but am I actually doing it? No. <laughs> My best friend, which I love him dearly, and if he hears any of this, remember I love you dearly. He jumps from area of focus, area to focus. And I've told him, I was like, just stick with one area for like a year and then jump to the next ship. But if you don't stick to it, it's not going to get there. Yeah. Sometimes whatever we're doing as a creative, we're not going to be motivated. And those days suck. But even on those days, you still show up, you still put in the time and inspiration and motivation will come. It's about the art of doing, even if it's not exactly what you love in that moment. Yeah. 
And something should always get the priority because if it's five things of equal weight, nothing's getting the priority. And I've been in that realm. And of course, it's like if one isn't killing it, you're going to do all five because your mind has to feel like I got to fill a day with work and you're doing it with all these five things. But if one doesn't get the priority, nothing's going to take off and they're all going to stay stagnant. And so my business and my clients, that pays 90% of the bills. So guess what? That takes 90% of the priority. Everything else could be back burner in a lot of ways, you know, school and students and that connectivity. Thankfully, we have so many ways of communicating that there's no way of dropping the ball. But it's thinking about that priority as well, like keeping that list alive and making sure it could swap. But most of your time in a month, make sure you know what you're you're spending the most time with. That's the one that has the best potential or the best possibilities. Right. And if you start feeling that you're burning out or you're losing passion, make a priority self-care and time for yourself. I try that all the time. I'm not that successful, but I try it. Right. Because work will always be there. Clients will always be there. New opportunities are always out there. There's enough work. But your mental health, it's not always going to be 100%. Yeah. And if you need to take a mental health day, if you need to rest, if you need to reset, do it. Mm -hmm. The world is still going to be in chaos when you get back to it. I think you're right. The pace of things is so fast. It changes every year, it seems like. This rat race of you, your career, the possibilities, all that stuff. I remember just the last time you're taking a vacation, you're like, how on earth am I going to do seven days? without doing this, or if you work a full-time job, I talk to all my friends that are still in that zone. It's like, they're fearful of going on vacation. Like they're going to miss something. It's like, no, that's not the way it should be. It's not the way it should be. And so giving yourself that time to disconnect and you shouldn't have to bring all your equipment with you on a vacation or whatever, you know, it's like those priorities are getting really screwed up and it's only getting worse. So We've got to make sure we're like balancing better with that and really taking a real break. And if it's in bite-sized pieces and that's all you can do, great. Like a little bit here, a little bit here. I remember first time I ever took a vacation, it was like I took three weeks because I held up everything for a year and a half. Plus I tied it into a business trip that was like four days. Can you imagine taking a three-week vacation now? Like who does that? <laughs> if you feel like you cannot take a vacation, you can always take a Friday off. Take a Friday off. Don't take your laptop with you. Go camping. Go hiking. Yeah, fun days. And if hiking and camping are not your thing, you can play video games all weekend, but don't catch up on work that you need to catch up mm -hmm. on. Take time for yourself. I love people that do like Airbnb trips. Like just pick a house an hour away from you. Totally different environment. Not all the common things that you're going to run to to do and fill time up with. I love that idea. Absolutely, because you're going to probably find inspiration out there. Just being with yourself or being with your family or being with your friends. Like Everyone deserves to go have a good meal, take a break. Work will be there when you get back. And if you have too much work that you cannot take a break, that's kind of like a signal in and of itself. Spread it out. Find some help. Right. And you don't have to answer it all. While I have my business and I'm doing freelance and other work as well, I have people who write copy for me. Like I hire people to help out with things because while I could also write copy and do certain things, I don't have that confidence. And so I have people help me. 
And that's all right. You don't have to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. Copy is a big thing for me too. I love working with copywriters. If I'm not the exact pro at it, finding some way to bring somebody in, even when it's hard to kind of find the budget for it, it means less time that I'm actually doing and I could be doing more of the things that I can actually hit. And so like I hire illustrators, I hire copywriters, I hire any web or whatever developers because those are areas I am not an expert in and I don't want to be. So talk about building your community of people that you trust and work with, but also can bounce ideas off of or whatever. I have so many Slack channels of just me and other designers love to chat when we're working late or whatever. Love that kind of stuff. And 90% of the stuff we talk about, it's not even design oriented. It's just life in general, inspiration, cool stuff. You know, what beer are you drinking? <laughs> That's all it is, right? Like I saw this great show the other day. Yeah, exactly. And then when you do need that specific new talent, you could just hit one message. Is anybody got a great blank that I can contact as I need to build a presentation. That kind of on-demand connectivity is what I love about what we get to do. I often wonder, are other industries this open with folks that are independent or have their own small businesses? Are they doing the same thing we're doing? Because like creatives seem to be taking full advantage of that. And if you want to make some new friends, where can we find you on the web? Oh, of course. Longo Designs has everything. So longodesigns.com is my website and it's Longo Designs on Instagram. I'm a big fan of connecting to other creatives on LinkedIn. It's like a whole different vibe there as well. And creatives should be there, just like we were saying earlier. Don't just be on Dribble and Behance and Instagram. LinkedIn is like the untapped area for creative. So get over there, hit me up there. I'd love to say hi. And um, yeah, that's where you can find us. And every Friday at 2.30 p.m. Pacific time on Adobe Live, you can catch me and Andrew's show office hours. Say hi there as well. We have live chats. We bring people on live now. The more we could do this, the better. I love it. Well, Nick, thanks so much for being here and <laughs> hanging out. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for asking great conversation. Thanks again for listening. If you liked this episode, it'd be awesome if you took the time to subscribe. And if you want to send me your thoughts to continue the conversation, email me at info at happyimpulse.com. You can also find me on Instagram at happyimpulse. And as always, thank you for giving a fuck.